look at this life I had, that life that, you know, most people would have, you know, given anything for. And I would say to myself, why can't you be happier with what you have? Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and I love to hear from my listeners, so leave me a comment on ZestfulAging.com. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was also a guest on Zestful Aging. It's off of her new CD, Buffalo Hotel, and you can find out more about Judy on judybanker.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Wow, I am really in awe of Suzette Mullen's courage. She says that she, it looked on the outside like she had it all. Look at this life I have. She asked herself, why aren't I happy? And uh, the truth was really scaring her. But she says ultimately that she needed to see where this story was going to lead her. And I just give her so much credit for following that story and acknowledging the real truth about herself and her identity and and carrying on. What an amazing story of resilience. It is so inspiring, especially these days when people are feeling so frightened and vulnerable. Well, as usual, I've got my trusty Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. I wanted to add a note that this conversation was recorded on March 16th, and we are all on the cusp of some really big changes uh, because of the virus. In fact, New York City just shut down all of its restaurants. So we're all on a little bit of edge here. And I hope learning about Suzette's life and her courage will uh, help inspire you. So five years ago, Suzette Mullen was 54, and she wrote some words that would change the trajectory of her life. Unbeknownst to her at the time, that day marked the beginning of her march to the edge of the cliff, where she had to choose whether to leap and leave everything she knew behind or retreat back to her perfect-looking life. And after 18 agonizing months, She finally leapt, and she's here to tell us why and what she's learned on the other side of the leap. Welcome to the show, Suzette. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here today. Things are a little off kilter as we're all, uh, I think, kind of uh, getting ready to uh, have the quarantine maybe increased and it not being voluntary anymore. Is that your sense? Yeah, I definitely feel like um, 
we're, we're sort of just, you know, days away or hours away. Um, I live in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and um, like many parts of the country, the schools are shut down and mm -hmm. we don't have a complete shutdown here yet, but it feels like it's about to come. It's a funny thing, right? Because as someone who is self-employed, you're a writer um, and you help other people write. We'll get to that. But, you know, it's possible your day doesn't look that different than any other day. But then there's the whole world out there that's, you know, doing just unprecedented changes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of my privilege that I um, am privileged to um, be able to work remotely um, and um, that I have a roof over my head and, um, and that many people don't have the luxury to um, stay at, to stay at home and still make an income and they, they may have to do that. So I'm trying to, um, trying to, not take my my privilege for granted and mm -hmm. um be grateful um, mm -hmm. that's always a good practice mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, i i appreciate that and i i think that you know when we talk about oh you know target has limited hours we're really talking about first world problems and you know having a freezer freezer full of food is uh, as you said, is a privilege, and it's important to recognize that. So we're talking about cusps. We're talking about being on the edge of cliffs. Mm -hmm. Who were you before this this writing or these words kind of rolled out? Who was Suzette? Yeah. So I was um, I was a uh, married. Um, mother of two. I had been married for 28 years to a kind and loving man. Um, I had two sons in the Ivy League. I lived in a home that had 180 degree view of the Atlantic Ocean and I looked like I had it all. And, um, and there was just one problem, which was that I just, I wasn't happy. Um, there was this undercurrent of restlessness, um, a discontent that I just couldn't um, name. Um, and, and I thought that my discontent had to do with the fact that I had been struggling for most of my 30s and 40s to find my lane professionally. I had been, um, I had practiced law um, in, my, in my late 20s and then had chosen to stay at home with my kids and had really struggled with the lack of a professional identity. And I mm -hmm. thought that that was the source of my discontent. And frankly, um, I regularly berated myself for not being happier because look at this life I had, that life that, you know, most people would have, you know, given anything for. And I would say to myself, why can't can't you be happier with what you have? Well, how did it manifest? You're talking about mm. feeling just a, a discontent or a dissatisfaction. How, how did you experience that? Um, well, I think that um, it was difficult for me to um, just relax, um, to just um, 
to just enjoy my life, to just experience, just to experience joy. I was always, um, I was, I was always somewhere else in my head. Um, I was always, you know, thinking about the next thing or the past. And I was, it was very hard for me to be present mm -hmm. to my life. Um, and I think I hid it pretty well. Um, I, I think that most of the people in my life, maybe with the exception of my husband, who's now my ex-husband, um, would, but most, he, 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 he knew things, something was going on, but, but most people in my life would have, would have said, oh, she's, you know, happy and she's got this great life. And um, mm -hmm. so it was mostly, it was, it was manifesting itself primarily internally. Um, mm -hmm. Just this. Like an agitation? The best way for me to describe it was a rest is was a restlessness, mm -hmm. um, um, just not being comfortable in my own skin and not knowing why and not not knowing that I was living on I was not living my life and knowing that I was um, living small but not being able to name why or feel like I could do anything about it. I, I felt very, very stuck. And um, uh, did was, you talk to your friends about it and try to get some, you know, advice or input about, hey, you know, are you feeling this way too, ladies with lovely homes and mm. <laughs> living a life? Um, not really. I, it, um, with the exception of my sister, I have, she's my one and only sibling and she's a couple of years younger than me. And although we have a lot of differences, we also have a lot of similarities. And I think at times she has felt a similar restlessness. And, um, and so I, did talk to her frequently and, and, you know, why, why can't I just, you know, be happier? And in fact, mm -hmm. um, in 2011, my, my father passed away of Parkinson's. He had been um, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when he was, when he was 52 and had wow. lived with it for 22 years. Mm. And he was kind of my model for who I, how I wanted to be in the world. Um, he was happy and grateful and joyful in spite of all the, all the challenges he had. And, and I remember, you know, talking to my sister many times, but particularly right after he passed away. And it's just like, if he could be happy with his life, why can't I be? And so there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of, oh, yeah. you know, judgment about what's wrong with me. Um, this doesn't make sense. Somebody else would be happy. I see. Oh, that, and that doesn't help. That does not help. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think there is a certain amount of, um, I don't know. I, I don't think I could have named this at the time, but looking back, I think there was a certain amount of shame involved in the feelings that I had. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, and that's part of the reason I didn't share that more broadly because I didn't want to look like this ingrate, you know, and, um, <laughs> like a spoiled, I, yeah, a spoiled exactly. brat, this privileged, you know, entitled woman who, you know, 
So it was, it was, it was, it was very, it was tough. And it was in, and I, and I did as good a job as I could of keeping it inside and keeping this, you know, perfect life front on the outside. Mm-hmm. So have you always been a writer? You know, you said you were an attorney uh, in your 20s. And then did you start writing around this time? Or how did that all kind of uh, evolve? Yeah, so um, I think like many people who write, um, I would I would say I've always been a writer. Um, and at different times in my um, in my young adult life and certainly in my um my adult life when i was a mom i was writing um writing writing journaling i was writing for newsletters and blogs and all of those kinds of things mm-hmm. of course before facebook and and all of the and all of that but um in my um shortly after the nest uh, my my nest was empty when my youngest son went off to college i have two sons um i I decided to really take that call or claim that call seriously as a writer and also as an editor. And I began, um, I had a book project in mind, which was a memoir and it kept evolving. And I went to writers conferences and I started working with a book coach. And um, I was, in the moment that you mentioned on, in, in your introduction of me, when I was 54, I was, I was, deep into a memoir that I was writing about my struggle with my professional life. And um, I called the, the memoir was entitled, what do you do? You know, that question that everyone always asks you ah, at every mm-hmm. cocktail party you go to every mm-hmm. time you meet someone. And for me in my thirties and forties, it was a really challenging and at times really painful question to answer because I didn't feel secure in my answer. Um, I would, for many, many years after I left the practice of law, I would, I would say, well, I used to practice law mm-hmm. and now I'm staying at home with my kids as if I needed to somehow justify, you know, or let people know that, oh, you know, I had, I had this a professional identity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, when, when, when our scene opens up in, um, you know, I think in terms of books and scenes um, in um, when I'm 54, I am, I am really engaged in, um, in my writing and it's a big uh, writing this memoir and it's a big part of my life and I'm taking it seriously. I've, you know, as I mentioned, I've hired a book mm-hmm. coach and I'm sending her pages every week and, um, and one day something happened in my writing. So it's almost like your unconscious just said, I'm no longer willing to be unconscious. This is a therapist talking, you know, and it is going to be right out there. Yes. Um, well, one thing, one thing I had, I had learned um, in my years of writing and then more recently having um, attended writers conferences is that, you know, you need to you need to let the writing go wherever it needs to go and my writing started going in a different direction in a direction that really scared me and i was tempted to to stop but i also i said to myself 
no one else needs to see this. I don't even need to send this to the book coach if I, if I choose not to, but I need to see where this story is going to go. And I ended up writing about a relationship I had with a female friend um, who I had been friends with for 18 years. Um, and it was a very intense and confusing friendship for me. And it had been from day one. And, and at the time, I was still very close friends with this woman. And when I looked at the words on the page, I saw something that I hadn't been able to see before, which was that she wasn't just a friend that I loved. She was a friend that I was in love. I had been in love with, and I mean madly in love with. And when I got honest with myself, I still was madly in love with her. And here I was, you know, married 28 years, perfect picket fence life. And this was not part of the plan. Mm-mm. Do you remember the scene when you um, kind of looked at that page and it, it sort of had this epiphany? Do you, is that somehow um, solidified in your brain of, of discovering this or was it more of a, kind of a a gentler process. Oh yeah, I remember it. It actually is a little more complex than what I just um what I just said and I sort of simplified it for it. But what what actually happened was that I wrote I wrote about this I wrote this particular moment of an exchange with this friend and I knew that writing somehow at some deep level, I knew that writing was, I mean, it was scary and Mm. I knew, and it was very, very vulnerable. I also knew that I needed to send it to the book coach and I did send it to her with this, you know, email. Oh my gosh, I don't like, I don't want to write about this and this feels really hard and I don't know if I have the stomach for this, but Mm -hmm. I know I need to, to send it. So I sent my book coach these pages, you know, and as soon as I hit that button, you know, the then it went off. I was just like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And um, probably, you know, 24 hours or so later, I got back um, a lovely note from her as well as feedback on the page. And of course she said, these are the most vulnerable pages you've written, the best writing you've done, all of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, I knew it. (laughs) And it actually was her comments on the page that solidified the epiphany. She wrote next to a particular sentence that I had written that this sounds exactly like someone who's falling in love. And when I saw her comment and I saw what I had written, I was like, I don't, I used an expletive, which I will not (laughs) use use on your podcast. I know you can edit, but I'll I'll just, I'll I'll save that. But you can imagine. Um, And I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. Of course, that's what this was. Oh my, you know, and, and it was just like, 
I don't know, for some of your listeners who um, may be uh, readers of the Bible, you know, there's Paul when uh, he, the scales fall from his eyes and he's walking to Damascus. And that was my moment. I mean, the scales fell from my eyes and I saw this relationship for what it really was. And Mm -hmm. I had been in such deep denial for so many years. Um, And I, I, I now knew, uh, at least I knew on some level what this was. And then I had to decide what do I do about it? You can't put that genie back in the bottle. sounds like that was a life changing moment. And um, wow. What, what an experience that must have been. It sounds like it was a full body experience. It was. Um, I did want to put the genie back in the bottle for sure. I also had a very, very close relationship with my husband, ironically. Um, maybe not ironically, but that's part of why this was all so confusing because it wasn't like I had a a bad marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, I often said after the fact, wow, it would have been so much easier if, you know, I'd been married to a jerk, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. And he, in fact, knew this friend um, very well as well. They, they had a independent friendship. So it was very tangled up. It was very confusing. So I made the decision shortly after I knew at some level what this, what this was for me. Well, at least what this friendship had been for me and still was, I made the decision to talk to my husband. Mm. I read him the pages that um, I had I had written and I said, and I told him what I thought they meant. And at first he was angry, but within seconds, he said to me in a gentle voice, I knew. And, mm-hmm. and then we began the next, what turned out to be 18 months individually and as a couple trying to decide what to do with this information. It was the hardest time of my life, um, at least so far. I'm, mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping mm-hmm. forever, but we never know what's, what's going to come down the pike. Um, I had to decide first really what was true for me. Mm-hmm. And I went through, I went through so many levels of, you know, maybe this is all in my head. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just her and I'm not going to be with her. And so I can just go back to my life. And then it was, no, it's not just her. But mm-hmm. really, maybe I can still go back to my life. Maybe sex isn't that important because at the time I was all just thinking it was all about sex. And mm-hmm. I was like, sex isn't a big deal. Of course I, <laughs> and, um, 
And it wasn't until much later that I realized it was much, it wasn't just about sex. It was about identity. It was about who I am and who I am in the world and mm-hmm. who, who I want to be with. And um, I eventually, um, my husband was very patient there. I mean, it, it was, it was brutal. Um, there's, there's no, there's no other way around it. It was brutal for him. It was brutal for me. Um, eventually, um, I had to decide, I had to decide whether I was willing to go to my grave, not knowing this part of me or whether I was going to jump into a completely new life, new identity. I had met my husband when I was 22 years old. We'd been married at, at when I was 25. Mm-hmm. I was in my mid fifties. I hadn't, he, he, he had been, he was a money manager for a good part of our marriage and he had managed all our money. And, and I mean, I hadn't, looked at a bank statement and you know since i was 25 years old a lot of reasons to just stay put a lot of reasons a lot of inertia there yeah and i also um you know i had i had let go of a professional career in my late 20s and i hadn't i hadn't been a uh, i hadn't earned any money really um um, I had just started earning a small amount of money as, as an editor, as a book coach, um, around this time, but it was, you know, it was play money at that point. It was mm-hmm. certainly not anything that I could rely on for, for an income. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was much more than that. It was much, it, the, the financial secure, I mean, or being financially secure and then not knowing whether I would be financially secure was certainly part of the decision, but it was just much more. I never expected to be in this position. Um, I never expected to have a life outside of the life that I had built with this man and our two sons and our whole, you know, I would have been part of this couple for much longer than I had I had um, been uncoupled. Um, and and your it, whole identity and whole identity. every piece of scaffolding was about being a straight woman in yep. a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. Um, and, the, and you were in the mainstream culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had no, um, you know, I've said to people after the fact, um, that I grew up in, I grew up in a, um, a progressive family. I grew, I didn't grow up with any baggage around, um, homosexuality. Um, even though I'm a person of faith, but I grew up in a, well, I didn't really grow up in the church, but as a, as an adult, when I came to faith, I grew up in a, I, I worshiped in a progressive congregation. So I, I didn't have any of that baggage, or at least I didn't think I did, about you know 
the LGBTQ plus community, I was like, it's great for people to be LGBTQ plus, just not for me, because I didn't think of myself that way. I did not, I didn't identify um, um, as a member of that community. And, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the past several years trying to unpack the layers of denial and and why 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 it took me so long to um to come to my truth um and i have some theories on that but you know it it's at the end of the day where where i come down on that is that i believe that i wasn't ready to see this truth in myself until I was ready. I mean, that, that's, that's the only thing I can, there were many opportunities along the way. Um, and there were many, many signs along the way, many, 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 which but, it sounds like other people might've been picking up on particularly your husband who said, yes, I, I know. Well, well, what he, what he was saying that he knew is that he knew he knew on some level that my attachment to this friend was well beyond what a, you know, sort of normal friendship would be like. Um, and, and he knew I struggled with it. And um, he in fact brought up in that, that same conversation that when I first read him the pages, after he said, I knew, he brought up an incident that um, had taken place w that the three of us were involved in, this friend, him, and, and myself, um, that had taken place 16 or 17 years earlier. And, um, and he and I had not spoken about that incident since then. So, I think what's what's interesting, um, perhaps at least it's interesting to me, um, is how we is, is that I was in this sort of triangle that we all were, and I don't want to call it a love triangle, but w there was this, there was a triangle of relationships that we all were playing a role in um, in denial or in um, allowing these, this, this, these friend, this relationship to go on. Had this friend of mine been a man, it, we never, ever could have had that. We, the amount of time that we spent together mm -hmm. and all of that, but because she was a woman and we were living in this heteronormative culture, it mm -hmm. was completely, acceptable you know for me to be spending as much time and energy and attention on her and so complicated complicated and so i you know i i i got to the point and my husband got to the point where i had to make a choice i mean we we were both in purgatory mm -hmm. um in the limbo of are we ending the marriage or not? Mm -hmm. And um, I ultimately had to be the one to pull the trigger. And that was 
incredibly difficult. And it happened right around the time, ironically, of the 2016 election. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Copper Compression, for supporting the Zestful Aging podcast. Copper Compression was in the news recently when they donated their entire stock of 18,000 masks to New York and New Jersey hospitals. Thank you so much for that. We're happy to work with a brand that has its values in the right place. Copper Compression offers a full range of copper-infused wellness products like braces, gloves, and sleeves that provide targeted relief and the support you need through your active recovery. They have the highest copper content on the market, guaranteed. Copper-infused fabric is really an amazing material. It has antimicrobial and anti-odor properties, and it helps increase blood flow. This unique combination of compression and copper gives you the strength to heal. Many of you know that I'm an avid tennis player, and over the years I've had to deal with the pain of plantar fasciitis. And for those of you who haven't experienced it, it literally feels like walking on little nails. It is very painful, Uh, but their plantar fasciitis foot supports have really helped me. They're also offering a generous 30% off on your first order just for zestful aging listeners. So go to coppercompression.com forward slash zestful aging, or you can just use the promo code zestful aging at checkout for your discount. Again, a big thanks to Copper Compression for their support. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm not intending to get political here, but I'd love to just share if that's okay with you about, um, about my experience of that day. Um, I had literally, literally just, we had just literally decided that we were, we were going to part ways. Um, and, um, I remember, um, voting that morning and being, on this high voting for Hillary Clinton, who was, um, you know, not only woman candidate that I supported, she also was a fellow um, alum, alumna of the same college I went to. I'm a Wellesley College graduate. And I was heading to Boston that day to meet with um, to, to my sister, to gather with a bunch of Wellesley friends, um, mm-hmm. because we were going to have a party and a celebration. And um, go out to Wellesley College and celebrate Hillary's victory. And I remember driving, um, took the ferry over from Long Island to Providence. And I remember driving to Boston. It was a beautiful day. And I had my windows down and, and, and feeling this absolute freedom. And I just thought, this is so wild because I have no idea what my life is going to be like. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know who I'm going to do my life with. I know nothing, but I feel this, this weight had been lifted off of me and it was just this exhilaration. And then of course the election didn't go the way I had hoped it would. 
And um, that evening was, you know, a, a downer to, 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 un, to make an understatement. And I remember the next morning after having gotten maybe two hours of sleep, waking up to the reality that I would be living in an America where I now was a member of a class of people that was marginalized and could be further marginalized um, under this president. And that you was, be, you became the enemy. Yeah, I mean that was I, I really hadn't even considered that because mm-hmm. you know I was I was completely confident that we were you know our country was heading in a different direction. That was hard and um, and a new reality for me. This this idea of being an other being not um, sort of acceptable in in the way perhaps the administration um, thought of, you know, who's, who's a citizen, who's a, who's a good citizen of the United States. And you were no longer invited to that party. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea at the time really. And I think none of us probably did of, you know, where, where things were going to head over the next few years. But I just felt, I felt very vulnerable all of a sudden and fragile. Um, that hadn't been part of my calculus really when I, um, when I made my leap and then it became part, I mean, I, you know, to be completely transparent, I am largely insulated even today from, um, from, any direct impact on me. I mean, I have, I, I have financial security, not as much as I did before, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine. And I'm, I'm a white person and I'm educated and mm-hmm. um, I, I have, I still have a lot of privilege, but I have um, become engaged in my new community um, here and actually have helped found um, what we call the Lancaster LGBTQ plus coalition, which mm-hmm. is a, a center that advocates for um, the LGBTQ plus community in um, Lancaster County. And um, I'm on the founding member of the board and I'm, I'm much more engaged and at becoming much more educated about the issues that the, um, the queer community faces and um that's been that's been a whole new um a whole new eye-opening experience and opportunity for me that I'm I'm really grateful for you know I was wondering about these layers of uh, discrimination and since this is a podcast that really does talk a lot about the aging experience, I'm wondering what it was like then to be a woman and we'll say post middle age mm-hmm. um, and navigating all of what that means because you have you had the identity part with having uh, been an attorney, and then it sounds like um, you were doing some writing, 
weren't necessarily earning an income, but sort of in this limbo. And now you're stepping into a whole new world, which is, uh, you know, marginalized. And you're a woman who's older. You're not doing this when you're 22 and um, feeling like perhaps the world is, is your oyster. Could you talk a little bit about the levels and the different um, pieces of identity that might, you might have been navigating at the very same time? That's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, there were so many um, layers of identity and change happening at the same time. And um, of course, in my, my personal life, and I moved to a new city, I left a marriage. Um, at the same time, there was a, a more of an urgency to, um, to really develop a professional life. Um, I needed that both for the actual income and, um, and I needed it for myself. It was like, mm -hmm. I, this is something I had been um, sitting on the sidelines for way too long. And I was, you know, I've blown up my whole life. So what am I waiting for? So I was very engrossed in, you know, this new, this new personal life. I shortly after I moved to my new city, um, I, I met someone and, um, she, she and I have been in a relationship for almost the last three years. So I've, I've, I've had this new, I have this new personal life, this new personal identity, this new professional identity that I'm growing as a book coach. And, and so the whole, the whole other side about being, you know, I, 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 I don't even, I don't know. I don't think of myself as an older woman, but I guess I am. <laughs> I, I just, had, I literally just had my 59th birthday and I'm sort of like, Oh my gosh, like this is this, you know, I'm, I'm a year shy of 60. And I think that there are moments when that come when, when I, when that comes into play for me, um, but maybe not as much as it would have had I not, at least mentally, because I've been dealing with all these other changes so much and they've, <clears throat> they've really taken center stage. But let me, so I, to be honest, I haven't really thought about this that much, but let me, let me, let me answer how I best I can um, in, in this moment. Um, it's been interesting because I'm, I'm in a city here that is actually very young. Um, the uh, Lancaster city itself is a very um, diverse, um, inclusive and young city um and i routinely am meeting with women and 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 men but i work primarily with women um and collaborating with women who are could be my children which is still you know they're the age of my they're in their late 20s and 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 I'm and I'm shocked by that because I just view them as yeah you do the same. math and you say yeah. wait a minute that can't be right exactly <laughs> like you're the same age as my kid you know and whatever and um I it's it's actually wonderful and I love it and um I I have not um, 
I haven't found, I haven't felt any direct, um, I'd say discrimination, um, about being, being older. Um, I do in my head, you know, I, as, as I mentioned earlier on, I spend a lot of time in my head and I still do. Um, there are times when I think like, especially as I'm building my, um, my career now, I think, wow, like many people at this stage are ramping off and I'm really ramping on and ramping up. And the, the beauty of the kind of work I do is that I hopefully can do this for a long time. I mean, I, I, I know women and, and men, but women in particular who are totally engaged in their work and they're in their late seventies, they're into their eighties. And I don't ever envision retiring. I mean, I like, this is my, I feel like this is my, I have waited so long to actually be living the life that I feel like I was called to live both personally and professionally that I am, I'm not, getting hung up on the fact that I'm 59 and I'm really at the early stages of my career. And, um, I'm, I'm grateful that I I'm doing work that I, that I think in many ways benefits from having the wisdom of the years that I've, I've, I have and the life that I've lived. Maybe I, in some ways I can be a mentor to younger women and, um, so I have not experienced that discrimination so much. It's still, it, it could happen, I suppose. Um, the community I'm part of here is very open and welcoming. And I think in all ways, and I have never been made to feel old. Um, I'm using air quotes there. Um, <laughs> I mean, some days when I wake up and I, you know, I'm, I'm a little creaky and, or I look too closely in the mirror, I feel old, but, but I, I don't, um, I don't, I certainly don't feel old emotionally. And, um, I well, there's a way in which you've been reborn, Yeah, not in the religious sense, but I mean, this is a totally different life. It resemble it has no resemblance to your previous life. It it really does. Um, I I was saying to my partner Wendy the other day because um, it really was it was I was almost it was five years ago this month that mm-hmm. this whole thing got set in motion when I when I wrote those pages and I said you know if you had told me five years ago that I would be living in Lancaster PA with, you know, a female partner and a little dog. I never had an animal in my life um, because I was allergic to cats and dogs and I just wasn't a dog person. And now I'm in love with this little seven and a half pound rescue pup we have, Lucy. And it's just, I had one friend say to me, which I think is so profound and I wish I could find exactly what she said because the, I'm, I'm not going to do her words justice, but she said something like when your heart opens one way, it opens in all the, all ways. And I really, I've really seen that in my life. Um, 
I think that I was, I was so closed off um, to a part of who I was for so long and that impacted every other part of my life. It sounds um, like it sort of dulled things or made things a bit more muted. Is that how, what you would say? I, yeah, I would say that. I also think that, um, yeah, I would say muted. I would say small. I would say um, I, I, for many years, and I would talk to my now ex-husband about this and certainly my sister, um, I would, I yearned to live with my arms wide open. And that was actually something that my father, um, you know, I mentioned him earlier. He, he would sit on the beach, even, um, we, we, he lived near the beach in Montauk, New York, and I lived there for a period of time. And even in his last years where he could not even get down to the beach without, you know, extensive help and he couldn't feed himself. He couldn't put his shoes and socks on. You would get him on into a beach chair and he would open his arms and look out at the ocean, you know, on one of these picture perfect days. And he would say, it doesn't get any better than this. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just, that was what I wanted for myself. I wanted to wherever I was, I wanted to be able to, to, to live in a spirit of my arms wide open and it doesn't get any better than this. And I didn't know how to do that. My, I was closed, I was closed in. And so now that I've opened up to who I am, um, personally, I've opened, I'm, I am open. It's, it's a journey. It's not a one and done. I'm opening up to, who I am in many other ways in my life. And, um, and that's, that's been a great joy. And that's been, you know, I thought he had the secret. I, my father had the secret to life and I didn't know what it was. And, and I think he was, he was comfortable in his own skin and he accepted you know, he accepted being diagnosed with Parkinson's at 52 and living the best life he could live and um, finding, finding places to be grateful um, and focusing on that versus focusing on what he didn't have. And um, so I, I finally feel like I'm living with my arms wide open. And it's taken, it's taken a long time and I'm, I'm there and it feels, you know, I, 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 I tell people my new life isn't perfect. Um, I don't want to sugarcoat it, Mm -hmm. but you know, there are moments where I'm pinching myself that, you know, I get to stand um, on my balcony overlooking the city with a cup of coffee and seeing the sunrise and maybe a glass of wine and seeing the sunset. And then there are days that are brutal. Um, there are days when waves of grief will hit me, um, you know, sp- certainly around the holidays when I, when I feel the loss of, you know, everything that um, has, has changed. Um, mm-hmm. But 
The difference today is that I'm living my life. I'm living my life. And um, have you ever heard of the term Glennon Melton Doyle uses brutal? Yes, you have heard of it. (laughs) I was literally just about to say that. And Glennon Doyle is, um, I'm a big fan of hers. And in fact, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading her her latest book untamed which is fantastic and i'm trying to not rush through it too much because it's it's a book to be savored um and yes i love her term brutal in fact i was speaking to a group recently and i used that and i said that is exactly what my life is like today and that is what life is i mean it's beautiful and brutal all all at the same time. And um, yeah, I totally love that term. And I think it describes, um, it describes what real life is like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How have your sons been with this whole journey? They have been amazing. Um, Of course, one of my deepest fears was, you know, how would they react and um, uh, how would they, you know, whether they would blame me for, you know, ruining our family or blowing our family up and, and all of that. Um, They have been incredible. Um, I ended up needing to share my news with them, both in terms of, the separation, um, and also the reason why, um, over the phone, um, which was not necessarily ideal, but the timing just, it, it had to happen. And I spoke to my younger son first, Patrick, and, um, he started, I could hear some sniffling on the other end of the phone. And I said, Patrick, are you crying? And, and he said, um, he was, he was 22 at the time and my, my, he had just graduated from college. My other son was 25. Will, so Patrick, um, yeah, he said, yeah, mom, I just feel so bad for you and dad and how hard this has been for you. And of course my heart just melted, you know, cause he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. And, um, so this boy I, has empathy. This boy has amazing empathy. And in fact, shortly after that, um, there's a moment that I've written about and uh, he and I are sitting on the steps of St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York and um, beautiful late October day, the sun was warming us and I was, I was on the cusp of making the final decision and about whether we were going to try to re- pair the marriage or, or get divorced. And Patrick put his arm on uh, his, his hand on my forearm and said, mom, how are you? And I said, I'm, I'm pretty fragile. And I started crying and said that I felt like I was creeping up to the edge of the cliff, knowing that I wanted to jump, but terrified to jump because I didn't know what would be waiting for me on the bottom. And he put his arm around me and said, mom, Will, who's his brother, Will and I will be there for you. And I think that was the moment, looking back, that was 
likely the moment that gave me the courage that I needed to, to, mm -hmm. to jump. Um, my older son, Will, who I, who I spoke to shortly after I, I talked to Patrick, um, he's a more stoic personality, um, more practical, um, doesn't show his emotions quite, um, quite, quite as, as freely as Patrick does. But he listened and, um, and he said to me, mom, I know I don't need to say this, but I will. And that I love, he said, I love you. And none of this matters to me. And, uh, meaning, you know, I took that to mean that you're gay mm -hmm. and that, you know, all of that. And, um, and they've both been, they've been amazing. Um, you know, I, they, I'm, I know they're having, they have their own journeys around this and divorce is never easy. And, um, they've had to adjust to a new, a new normal. Um, their father, who I have, my ex-husband, who I have a, we're building a new relationship and um, he's been probably as, you know, I can't imagine, I, I've said to many people, I can't imagine another man I would have rather been married to. And, and if you have to get divorced, he's a, he's, he's been a great person to have to get divorced from. And he's, um, he seems to be thriving. He has a new partner. He's actually recently remarried her. So we're, you know, we're settling, we're all settling into our new normal. And um, I'm very grateful that both of my kids have um, been there for both their father and for me. Um, I think it says a lot about who they are as young, as young men. Wow, that's the... Um that's a revelation you would, you know, you would not have seen had, had you all not gone through this together, the, those parts of the boys that were so loving and accepting. But that's such a beautiful thing to uh, imagine. I'm wondering um, if you, as you're thinking back on this and now you've had a little bit of distance, are there characteristics or, or ways that you helped yourself cope through this pretty tumultuous time? Were there ways you said you had a faith? I'm just wondering about how you got through this, as you called it, blowing up your life. Mm. Are there any... I guess I'm thinking about maybe advice or guidance for some of our listeners who may be going through similar experiences and really feeling quite quite desperate. And we know that there's a high suicide rate uh, for people who um, are are gay and lesbian. And I'm just wondering if there's there's some words that you could put to that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I did, I did have moments where I felt, um, suicidal, um, because I couldn't see, I couldn't see an option that didn't involve a tremendous amount of pain. And I was desperately looking for one. And, um, one of the things that I, have come to understand is that whenever you make a big change, um, there's a cost. Um, there's a cost 
there's a cost to staying and there's a cost to leaving whatever it is, whether you're leaving a, a, you know, a job or there, there's many big change can come in many different shapes and sizes. It's not just, you know, leaving a marriage or leaving heterosexual life to um, claim your, um, your true identity. But, but I think that when I, I finally acknowledged and I guess came to terms with the fact that there, there, there is a cost either way. And, and, and that's what I would say to your listeners is that there is a cost either way. And, and your job is to weigh the cost, um, to weigh which costs you're willing to bear. And at the end of the day, I wasn't willing to bear the cost of not knowing who I was. And um, I knew I would, I knew I would regret that. I knew that if I stayed, this wasn't going to go away. And, um, and I would probably, you know, make not only myself miserable, but make my husband miserable. Or, and um, so I think that that would be one piece of advice I would say is that um, there's always a cost if you're looking for a cost-free option, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. The only way through to the other side is through the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want that. We want to find it. We want to find a, a way around, and there is no way around. I'm proof that you can get to the other side, and um, and that there is joy on the other side. Um, there's also, um, there's also hard stuff. And just like we talked about brutal, I think that would be another thing that, that I would want to share with your listeners is that I was blindsided, um, by the grief that I felt, um, early in the early after I made the change, I think I had an unrealistic idea of what, you know, life would be like once I had actually made the decision. I mean, I was in plenty of turmoil and grief while I was in the midst of making the decision. But I think I had this delusion, really, that um, once I made the change, you know, oh, I'm in my new life. And 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 like it's all going to be great and there is that and there is that honeymoon period where you are you know i was in a new relationship and i and i felt this freedom of of finally you know what, feeling comfortable in my own skin and and that the the heavy load i had carried of you know making that decision was gone and then I had periods of time, particularly in the first 18 months after I made the leap, where I was hit with just really, really deep grief. And I misinterpreted that grief. I thought it meant that I had made a mistake. Ah. I thought it meant, and I, I had periods where I started cycling back into self-doubt again, Mm. you know, maybe this was just a terrible mistake and, you know, and um, second guessing myself. And I think there's something about this kind of grief that feels different than 
um, normal, again, I'm using, I like to use air quotes, normal grief, mm -hmm. um, when you're the one who chose the change, um, you know, there, there's, there was that, there was a voice inside me that was saying, well, you know, do you even have the right to this kind of grief? I mean, you're the one who made the change. You've got what you wanted, right? And um, so what I would say to your reader, your listeners, is that grief after a big change, even when you're the one who initiated the change, is normal. Mm -hmm. And you are entitled to that grief. And you shouldn't feel ashamed of having that grief. Um, and, you know, maybe some people in your life won't understand it. Um, and um, you need to find people who will, who you can feel safe expressing that grief to because it's normal. And I, and I still will have moments where, you know, I think it's particularly around the holidays or when mm -hmm. around you have triggers. I mean, just like any other kind of grief, there are triggers but now I can kind of see it and I say, yeah, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. There was, there's a big loss and yep, that's, that's hard. And it sounds like you can bring some self-compassion to yep. those feelings rather than, oh goodness, it's been five years, you know, let's move on. Right. Exactly. And also recognizing that it isn't, it, it isn't an indication of a mistake um, because of course, for me, I don't think I actually mentioned this earlier, but for me, my, when I stood at the edge of that cliff before I jumped, my biggest fear, and I think we, fa we face our fears, our biggest fears when we're about to take a big, a big leap. And for me, my biggest fear was that I was making a mistake. Um, and I, for my personality type, making a mistake felt so costly. And of course, this was a big, big decision. So and you can't go back. You, you can't, can't say, back. wait a minute, I've reconsidered. I think we'll ju just forget what I said before. What do you want for dinner? It just yep. never, it's not going to, yep. I mean, it, it's right. a point of no return. A point. Exactly. Exactly. A point of no return is exactly. And, um, and so when the grief bubbled up early on after the leap, um, it was really easy for me to go back to that place of, oh my gosh, I, mm -hmm. I, maybe I did make a huge mistake, you know, and then what do I do about it? And I can't do that. I've done it, you know, I mean, uh, and um, so I would, I would, if, if any of your listeners are facing a big decision or they're on the other side of it and they're experiencing grief, I would say, I'm not a therapist, you, you know, <laughs> you are. Um, but what I would say as someone who's been, been through it is, um, and continues to experience it, is that there, there may be grief on the other side of the big change and that is okay. And that's normal. And, and I would, and I, I guess two more things I would, I'd like to, to share. One is that early on, I, and this is be connected with my fear of making a mistake. I wanted absolute certainty. I wanted, I wanted somebody 
you know, whether you want to call it God or, you know, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted the sky writing in the sky to say, this is the right thing to do or don't do this or whatever. I wanted absolute certainty. And um, I also wanted, I, I didn't want to make the, have to take the responsibility to make the decision myself. It just felt too hard. And so I, I have two learnings or lessons I've learned from, from that experience. The first is that at least for me, if I had waited for absolute certainty, I would never have, I would never have jumped. I would have stayed stuck. I would have stayed, I would have kept my husband stuck. I learned fine, or I, I came to believe, and I, I believe this is true, that the best I could do was take in what, what I knew and make the best decision I could make. Um, and then that would also be tied to um, the big, the biggest takeaway for me is again, obvious, but I had to learn it, which is that the only person who can tell you what is true inside yourself is you. And it was so difficult for me to trust myself. I want, I, I wanted, you know, a therapist, a spiritual director, a friend, um, a sister, um, a husband, even um, to tell me what was the right thing to do and you obviously you need support you need counsel I spent many many hours in a therapist's office and I had an online support group and I had people who I was talking about these things with but at the end of the day I was the only one who who could know what was true and I had to I had to that was the biggest leap was was trusting taking the leap to trust myself. Mm-hmm. How does it feel now to talk about all of this uh, in, in some hindsight? It feels, I have a lot more compassion for my younger self. I mean, my, my younger self really all the way back, all the, all the years that I struggled with these questions of identity, whether they were um, professional identity or just feeling like I wasn't living my life in the world. And, and, and I was very hard on myself. I was super, super hard on myself. Um, And I, I, so, so today I'm, I'm, and again, it's a process I'm learning to have. And I feel like I do have compassion for my younger self, even my, and I have, I'm, I've been writing about this journey and I'm working on that. I've, I've nearly finished another memoir. And so I've spent a lot of time with the story. Um, and sometimes when I read what my younger self, even of five years ago was going through, I, it does bring me to tears because um, it was, it was, it was really tough. And I, and I wish she could have known what it's like on the other side um, and that it would be okay. Um, It would be brutal. And thank you, Glennon Doyle, um, (laughs) again, and that it would be, um, and that I could do it and that I was capable of doing my life. And in it, it, it feels wonderful to be on the other side um, Mm -hmm. for sure. 
Um, I, I'm part of a, an online support group for women who are questioning their sexuality in some mm-hmm. way later in life. And um, it's been so, the group's been around for about four years now. And in fact, if any, you know, if any of your listeners are interested, mm-hmm. um, it's a secret group, but I could certainly share information one-on-one with people mm-hmm. if they're interested. But it's been so life-giving and wonderful to be on the where I am in my journey and be able to be able to share what it's like on the other side with some of the women that are just beginning to just beginning their journey and to you see the same patterns, the same questions, you know, how can I do this? How can I do this to my family? How can I, you know, it's impossible and all of these things. And it's not impossible. It's not impossible to make a big change. It's scary. It's hard, but it's worth it. That's an amazing story. And you tell it with such openness and vulnerability and rawness. And and also there's delight in it. It's just been um, really wonderful hearing about this transformation. Um, I'd like to ask you where people can find out more about you and your work, Suzette. Great. Thank you. Um, Yes, you can find out more about my work as a book coach at yourstoryfinder.com. And I work um, primarily with women who are writing memoir or prescriptive nonfiction, which means books that are um, self-help, how-to, personal development, business strategy books. And um, you can find out more about my book coaching services on that website. I also offer a 30-minute complimentary um, discovery call for anyone who might be interested in discussing their book idea and how they might, um, how, how we might work together. And can people find out about your books on that website? Yes, they can find out about my books. Um, My books are are still in um, works in progress. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, uh, hopefully that will be changing um, uh, in the the near future. But yes, they can find out about my my writing on that that site as well. I'm also Mm -hmm. on Facebook at Your Story Finder. Um, Instagram, I'm at your, you are story finder because somebody else took (laughs) your story finder, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm active on Facebook and, and on Instagram as well Mm as, um, the website. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to chat with anyone who, um, is thinking about writing a book, but doesn't know where to start or they're stuck in the middle or they've gotten to the end and they know it's not working, but they don't know how to fix it. So I feel that story is what is what connects us and makes us feel less alone. And mm-hmm. um, those are, those are the authors that I, I, I want to work with people, women in particular who have stories or messages that 
will change the world, even if it's just one person at a time. You know, it just occurred to me as we have this quarantine and people are finding themselves perhaps with more time on their hands, not everyone, but I'm wondering what stories will emerge from this crisis and everything is so disrupted and so topsy-turvy. I wonder if there will be people who have the opportunity to finally sit down and write their story. Well, I, I, I suspect there will be a lot of creativity and stories that come out of this, of this period. And I think some, you know, often we need something that shakes us up out of our, our everyday. And this is certainly, this is certainly um, a moment in time that is shaking all of us up. Mm -hmm. Suzette, thank you so much for spending time with us today and telling us about your story. And I'm hoping providing some encouragement and support to others out there who are living with a similar discomfort, with a similar um, discontent and help them discover, you know, how they can approach that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. Wow, I left that interview feeling really excited for Suzette and really inspired. She talks about having a weight lifted and feeling exhilarated. And even though she was starting uh, the early stages of a new career at 59, uh, she talks about just feeling like she is alive again, like a sense of being reborn. And she talks about going to her life with her arms wide open that she really wanted to experience all that life had to offer. It's so delightful to hear that. And of course, middle age can often uh, offer us an opportunity to make big, big shifts. We often have the time. Uh, if we have kids, they're, they're often launched and our careers are at a different place where we're not brand new and trying to figure things out. So there's a lot of opportunities to do some major shifts. And of course, we talk about that in the web course, Zestful Aging, which you'll find on my website, zestfulaging.com in the web courses section. We talk all about assessing your life and really being true to your values and congruent and using the rest of your life, using the knowledge and wisdom you've gained and, um, and figuring out what you want to do with the rest of your years. And Suzette's such a good example of that. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it was uplifting, especially now, as we're feeling often uh, pretty tense, unsettled and anxious. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. Hello, Zesties. 
I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine. But I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, it's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance. And it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC Rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overwhelm overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K.com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at ZestfulAging.com. I really am their biggest fan. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different 
confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.